you are uh, allowing people to join or uh, yeah yeah they can join as they want so okay i can't remember whether i said this as the members on i don't think so mm. sign of old age can't remember mm let me see again ah uh, no 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 i think everybody should be able to join okay um let's start uh so hi everyone today uh, we are going to talk about what we call invisible designs and some past examples of these invisible designs and their consequences and also how to make these designs visible and i'm talking about within the engineering team or the development team um how to communicate your design for the first time and how do you keep that communication going continuously that's my take on yes so and then as usual uh, shall i start yes i have two things i want to say one is an actual case study from when i was an intern the other one is a very like a very interesting um what's it called like a thought experiment which i used to explain this to people so i'll give you the thought experiment uh it's partly a joke as well the thought experiment is there's a bunch of monkeys and you put these monkeys inside the room and this room has in the middle of the room a ladder and right on top of the ladder hanging from the ceiling is a bunch of bananas and uh what these monkeys don't know is when the researcher wants they can electrify the floor of the uh, room right so what they do is initially all the monkeys see this uh, bunch of bananas they they start climbing the ladder moment a monkey starts climbing the ladder the researchers electrify the floor for a short period and uh, give the monkeys a mild shock so pretty soon the monkeys learn as soon as one monkey starts climbing up the ladder they beat him up right um so after a while no monkey starts climbing the ladder because they know they are going to get beaten up uh now what they do is the researchers they remove one of the monkeys existing monkeys and introduce a new monkey that monkey immediately starts climbing the ladder and gets beaten up so pretty soon that monkey also learns to uh, not climb the ladder because it gets beaten up and they re- replace it with another monkey another monkey another monkey and uh, after a while none of the original monkeys are there but they all beat up any monkey that attempts to climb the ladder and the funny part is the electric shocks have stopped long ago and that's uh, that is a story what do you think i think this is uh, this is very common right this is how psychologically we make norms and how we practice that and eventually certain things are done for no reason just just like how uh, certain technical organizations work certain teams work uh because it was given to them restored and then taken into their heart and soul without knowing the proper reason and and probably this is how we learn most of the new technology as well if you really relate it hmm. you know I mean, uh, if, if you think about it this is how we learn anything from childhood right but at some point we ask questions why some point maybe sometimes you forget now for instance 
how many how many Node.js packages you install by default? Uh, like I, I'm talking about if you take a project and how many things are installed and never been used, hmm. and how many you know how how much of stuff that we take it from boilerplates and never clean it up. So that's uh, that's a common uh, practice for anyone who's on the service level, who's not really thinking on <clears throat> going deep down uh, on something. Mm -hmm. That's why that's why probably the probably the experiment with monkeys was successful. But haven't you seen this thing? Like I, I, I'm agreeing with you actually. Uh, this scenario where somebody joins a company and all the original developers have gone there are little weird things like you store something in a database instead of a file or you store something that's supposed to be a file in a database or you connect through something else rather than connecting directly and nobody knows why nobody wants to touch it as well i have seen that also i have seen the other part of it like in the organization <coughs> organization was a early stage startup and nobody documented anything and now it's a scale up with all the money coming in with the engineering teams still people don't document things still people don't believe in uh, proper repositories so the bad practice is also getting you know it's not just the uh, things which had meaning at one point and now does not have a meaning also like when you try to at an early stage, you do it the way it is because that was the need of the hour. But that continues with the team, with the team DNA uh, to a later stage, even though the company can afford to do so. Hmm. So that reminds so me of that, uh, that second uh, case that I wanted to tell you. Shall I quickly tell that also? Yes, that's let's a, do it. That's actually a, like an example of how to do it right. So this was literally 20 years ago and I was just starting in Millennium IT as an intern. Um, and back then, this is before the time of Jira, I think, and all these task trackers, project management products are not there. So when I was hired as an intern, uh, Millennium IT tasked me and one other intern with writing an issue tracker in Java, uh, basically J2E, servlets and, uh, servlets and uh, JSP. Right, um, so we started writing it, and back then uh, uh, Ajit Samarnayaka was uh, director back then. He's one of the smartest guys I have ever met. Uh, he talked to me and he gave me the task of doing this. And the way he communicated the requirement to me was this. And this was, by the by the way, guys, this was the time the heyday of uh, UML, all the rage. Everybody was drawing class diagrams, sequence diagrams, activity diagrams, all these things. <laughs> And there's, there's, uh, there are expensive tools, remember Rational Rose? Rational Rose, I was just about to mention Rational Rose, <laughs> yes. So, anyway, so all these things are there. I was also brought into this and like, oh, you can draw an activity diagram, you can have these swim lanes, you can be state transitions, all those things, right? Uh, but what Ajit did was, he told me, you need to write an issue tracker. Uh, you know, now, nowadays everybody knows what an issue is, it has a... A title, a description, and a state state transitions, comments, and various releases attached to it, like that. Severe again, prior. Uh, those are bugs, yes, bugs, task, everything is there. Um, so the way he communicated this to me was he just gave me a database schema. 
like an ER diagram and it contains pretty much everything like if it's a comment how the relationships are even the state transitions there were two tables called issue states and the issue state machine issue state machine had current state next state current state next state were the tuples in the in that table and everything was in there and looking at just that i could derive all the requirements that needs to happen and i decided what the screens were going to be uh, but i built that and uh, except for a few comments in the code there was really no reason to have uh, documentation uh, uh, by the way hasida just to disturb yeah, whoever listening who is new don't follow that approach which is 20 plus <laughs> years old <laughs> the data structure to UI is a definite no no nowadays. I don't look at your data structure come up with a UI. You you can't get this is these are grandfather stuff. You just listen, you just take the message of the thing. This is not the way to build that. Data structure to front end is it's all gone now. Uh, Anjana, can you like, the, uh, can you explain a little bit like what are the dangers of doing that? Number one, number one. the end user is not in your scope you you think of your data structure and how that needs to come into a form and what the end user has to do other the other than solving end user's problem you introduce your problem to the end user this is how my data structure looks like this is how my table is you better give me all the fields for this table to store the data in my table right I think I know why this they did it this way because the person writing the schema was also a developer and the end user of that product was also a developer. Probably that's why. Makes like sense. it's a developer too. But that's, you are right. You are right. Yeah. Do not ever try this with like uh, like user facing applications, please. I think I think now it's not there. No people start with the user personas, map the user story. it's it's pretty user driven mm. nobody creates a database structure and say i will uh, remember back in the days all the tools you create bunch of tables and generate the uis in front operations and mm. there you go you have a system yes but the usability whether it solves the problem that's a different different thought altogether mm. so anyway i think the takeaway from this for me was that keeping the documentation as close as possible to the code is the best thing to do what do you think so there is a the different part of school a lot of people talk about this instead of uh, documentation make sure your code comments are up to date and they are living so that when you change something change your comments and your documentation becomes your comments and the other part of how you how you understand the system is through your unit test uh view and every time you change the unit test you change the the descriptions of the unit test and that's another way to look at the system which is more live and so and so forth and even people uh, i have seen people asking questions and trying to do stuff like moment i change a class can i you know change my api docs you know the swagger is a solution for that can the unit test documentation be generated that can the source code uh, comments be automated and things like that that's another very technical way to look at it but if you take a like for me i'm, I'm a, more of a visual guy i have to draw it in a whiteboard 
I have to draw it in a paper for me to see what we call the design view. Like remember, we, we talked about this design view and the runtime view, the dynamic view. So uh, we need to here. we need to get to that also. But I think first we need to make the distinction between the design as you spoke about right now and the decisions that got us there. Like for example, there may be a Swagger file, but why did we make it a REST API in the first place and not like a we, we had a case like this one, something that could have been a stream process. So somebody built it like a polling thing and nobody can nobody knows why we are like periodically polling. I, I was actually getting at it now. Now, even though a lot of people talk about live code comments, live uh, test cases and the documentation, the big picture, what you can draw it in a whiteboard about the system, plays a bigger role. That That's where you understand what are the uh, single point of failures of the system, what decisions that you have made, and even the technological decisions, APIs, whether it's a mobile app versus mobile web, where are those decisions? That needs to be documented, that needs to be communicated, and the, the, the funny thing I learned is there's nothing called over-communication. You have to keep, as an architect, as a tech lead, you have to keep communicating this stuff. Over-communication is the only way you get to a lot of people. Most of the developers, most of the people who are working in their job, if you communicate it once, you don't get it. It doesn't go to them, right? You have to keep saying that multiple times for people to realize it's important. One, to realize that's important. Two, to realize uh, this is what these cases mean. You know, it's, so when you over-communicate it in multiple situations with multiple examples that's only that's when it goes to their head that's but, actually one lesson on design and communication for me first that's true but now communicating meaning like email you're gonna disagree <laughs> i'm about to disagree a little bit so like yes yes Go ahead. Are, so verbal communication in a meeting yes you need to keep repeating emails those things are like uh, that is time series information no? email for but there's another snapshot version of design so these snapshots you have to write it down and if you make it overly detailed what's going to happen is when the the delivery pressure comes in and you start writing the code the very first thing to go out the window are these updating of these uh, design documents so there's a case against making the design documentation to verbose also Yes, yes and no. I think we'll, we'll, get, we'll agree on the yes part where your design documentation, just like the version one of, one of your source code, can get outdated. Luckily, on source code, you have the version control and you only take the latest version to production. But in the design or the documentation, you lose interest. They call it, you know, they, they say the requirements document and your design documents goes to a living document. But do we really practice that? Do I mean, Can you yes, make design... it living documents? That's the other question. Sorry to interrupt, but now... Yes, the we'll way get we to that. We'll get that. Example is this. We work in sprints, right? And in the sprints, we are developing a feature and each feature, there is a requirements document and also an architecture and design section which basically captures the diff, like the changes you want to make. So once that feature is built, 
it's like applying the diff to the main application that document is basically outdated so you set that aside we don't go and update like a grand design where the snap current snapshot is up to date we don't uh, so let's talk about the levels of design right i think so then then we we get a sense of what it is uh, generally you you come up with what you call a solution architecture or the very first tech guys on the ground make few design decisions bunch of assumptions bunch of learned uh, or rather their experience they bring it in and some of the things are inherited like the client says i want to run this in uh, in aws like things like that so then that you you have inheritance which is you know forced down you then your based on your experience some of your decisions and then assumptions and you also take a risk now for instance if someone decided to use redis 2 years ago it's probably that they could have taken bit of risk there so all that the first people on the ground they come up with a, a solution architecture what we call l0 have you heard the word l0 most i think lot of organizations use l1 i have not because now level c my past 10 years i have been working in product development and not consulting so this the that that model i am not very familiar with i think even even on product there is uh, l1 uh, l0 when it's like when you are starting brand new like if you are the first guy first tech person to be there you have a maybe you don't use the word l0 but you come up with something which you can write in one a4 sheet and you say you know you mean this like is an architect our system solution architect not right. even technical right. architect you're looking at it as a per, like a person trying to do not, not not in a use case scenario but in a more for boxes and the interaction between these boxes and what each box is what is that box so i come from like back in my my millennium id days we thought of everything as a process like process is something running in unix or in the unix world so the database was a process like one service we didn't even call it service we called it a process front end was a process that's, so, that's dynamic view that's your dynamic view okay because moment you bring the the runtime into your design you are now thinking in terms of languages thinking in terms of how it runs and what you call uh, something for instance when it's dynamic when it is running but you don't have to Which think is, about a language when you're doing a dynamic thing no? so let's say if it's a, a web server so that, i'm talking about l0 right l0 is your one box is a database is a box like a data right. store a mobile app is a box but you are talking uh, about software and not the infrastructure right when you say database box no. you are not talking about the unix box the actual the the thing in the server not, right? not that not in l0 not in l0 right. in right. l0 i design i have a a database or multiple databases i have apis or, or api layer at that point i i highly likely i will have a mobile app and a web and a uh maybe maybe a sdk to distribute those are the boxes that you would initially look at mm-hmm. so then comes uh, you you have a like a data store requirement you have a 
mobile app that you need to bring it in. Then comes the L1 where you keep breaking down and if it's a startup, you take your budget also to your side. As an architect, you always look at your cost. You have to look at who's to maintain this, you know, are there people in the market? Now, you know, I, I ran an ad exactly in 2011 for a Node.js developer. Because our project was built on Node. I, I did some research. I liked it. I ran that ad. I have shared that on my FB also hmm. in 2011. That's the this first is, time. This is like literally two years after Node came out, right? Yes, exactly. Because we had a problem where we wanted... I was, you know, my background is Java at that time. The Java uh, concurrency, the Java util concurrent uh, package was competing with Node at that time to create socket-based communication. So either you can do, you can run a bunch of parallel uh, processes and then open up the sockets and listen. Or Node came up with everything packaged where you can open a socket with few JavaScript lines the client is ready, uh, backend is ready, you can keep sending information back and forth. Mm. We were thinking of something very similar to uh, a chat, but more the, it's not a chat application, rather you know, it's an engagement platform where when the engagement happens based on certain things that you do on the front end, you get responses. So it's a persistent socket, right, if it's a chat? Yeah, it's a it's a web socket with the uh, poly. It, uh, it's not the persistency is not on the socket. It's on the on the database. You store it in DB. Right. So if, if the if the message fails, you simply retry. That's all. No, I mean there's like, no so guarantee. If it's, if it's a chat and if it's two-way communication, it mustn't be like a client-server HTTP type thing, right? No, it's no, it's it's PubSub. PubSub based on uh, poly. Right. The first right. version of Node—it's a pop-up. Uh, you have you have a client called Faye, Faye, which is written to tackle the front end pub and sub. Right. And uh, Node is naturally event-driven, so you have a pub, <coughs> you have an event which is listening, the event dot on, which listens like a one function, and if, if stuff comes in, you can do it. So the other parallel thing was. Uh, what was that language? Erlang. Mm. So I, I, even I couldn't uh, afford to learn it and do Erlang at that point. So I advertised for Node.js and uh, yeah, so nobody turned up. So that, that was a bad architectural decision at that point. But luckily, people who were there on the ground learned it because it was an interesting language at mm. that point. And you can do stuff in... You know, okay, okay. So, so <laughs> coming back to design, so as an architect, you look at the cost, the, you know, whether this can be maintained, whether you have access to the right kind of uh, talent, all that. So that, that is where you're L1, you know, you look at it of a more pragmatic approach than a box. What is this box is composed of? Like the technologies. Technology. So I would say you always keep your L1 updated. So it, because L1 is a probably one or two sheet of document, L3 is module level. L3 updated, sorry, L2, L2 is the ownership of the module load. I only care about L1 and L2. Anything down under, 
it can be the source code right like so that's but l1 and l2 as a tech lead architect i maintain the l1 yeah. the tech lead the tech leads or the module leads they make sure they maintain l2 right. l0 is probably one time document but if you maintain l1 and l2 your <laughs> your thought process is pretty captured l3 and below is a cultural thing. you know people have to the rest of the team have to take it and that's where the continuous communication code reviews design reviews comes so into play way i have done it i actually not i'm not familiar with the terms l0 and l1 but the way i done the document let's call it level 1 design level 2 design for the, for the simplicity so that you know right right and anything further that so l1 is the technology and the components l2 is if you take a module business module functional module the design of that which is maintained by the module lead if right. there is a module lead so the way i've always L3 done this i have at the code level only, uh, i have only one document like architecture is one document um it probably encompasses both what you call l0 and l1 so you have these boxes like right. let's say you have a rest api and that box i also annotate in that same one this is built with node and the front end is a browser it's running on the browser it's a box and i will also annotate saying this is a react app single page react app like that mm-hmm. and i usually always start with like three boxes like client middle level is the application and the persistent layer is the database and then slowly slowly so it's, it's layer driven as well Yeah. So you are looking at the system in multiple layers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but beyond that, I don't really maintain a diagram because everything beyond what you call layer zero and layer one is in the code, or sometimes in the readme of the re- repository. Okay. So the so to connect things, like let's say you get a new developer on board, where do you start uh, getting this guy on board? Ah, from bottom up good question i'll tell you yes. how i do it right now and i don't know whether this is right or wrong then i'll tell i'll share my way of doing it okay, okay. so right now when somebody comes to different there is a very large uh, something called the onboarding developer onboarding faq it answers all the questions from like where do i uh, okay who's who who do i report to where's the wifi password everything and eventually we get to this uh, diagram which has like a architecture diagram of on the leftmost corner there are all the front ends mobile front end web front ends everything in the middle column there are all these um, apis we have the graphql api we have a regular legacy rest api we have a few other apis and then towards the right hand side all the data sources like um, we have uh, mysql mongodb i think amazon redshift i don't know not so, amazon so redshift, are, are you are you directly getting them into tech without the business domain that's that's there in that, uh, that onboarding document i told you that is also there in the early stages so i'm skipping all okay, that right okay. now uh, so right that, that diagram is there and the connections are drawn in lines like whenever there is a communication between those two there are lines not directional lines just lines so that is how it works that's a simple diagram so they get an idea about the broad view of what does this system look like what are the pieces after that let's say they want to learn about our graphql api which is a node application they go into the repository and you look at the readme 
uh, this is not perfectly done just yet and this is this is kind of a future state we want to get to the idea is when you look at the readme the first thing it tells you is how to deploy it how to how to uh, clone <coughs> it and then what are the dependencies oh man this is too detailed you are you like you are babysitting the new developers no no but you need to have that no sometimes you don't know it's not the cloning <laughs> cloning obviously it's very easy but you need to tell okay it needs these 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 things set up and yes how you get it running on your local machine um then it's like a very brief explanation of file structures okay if you want to look at the graph resolve graphql resolvers this is where it is uh this is where you look here are the configurations here are the environment configurations like so on and so forth a few lines uh after that everything will be in the module level you go into the the file actual file and it will tell you like these are the this is the this is like going to school for them but you have to have yeah. that anjana otherwise uh, it takes like a long time for somebody to understand this okay i'll i'll, I'll get to mind when when you are done i'll tell you uh, so i'll stop there done. i think there's a there's yeah. a lot of detail we can go into but basic idea is so you do a you do a formal formal onboarding business to uh <coughs> business to tech and you get people on board how to deploy all right uh this is how i do actually let me tell me let, let me tell you one thing so the repository is the reason okay. we are doing that is we are kind of sort of trying to follow the same model you see in open source projects in uh, github so you go there it tells right. you this component this is why it exists this is a graphql api written in node.js you are using express next line is here's how you get started in order to install and run this you need depend these these dependencies and the next part is if you want to modify this here are the files here are the like a uh, broadly directories that you need to access that's it cool cool okay uh Here's how I do it. Now you have the team. Your ba- team is set up. They know what they're doing to a certain extent. Maybe at initial stages you do it. When a new guy comes, what I generally do is I first explain about the the, the business. It's for me. It's all about business. You need to know the domain. You need to know why users need this. Why users do this? What's the competition? it's all about the user experience and this uh, the business domain more business you know more uh, insightful decisions that you can make you can prioritize deprioritize you can understand you know if you don't know the business you would think this is a simple function but that's actually a critical function to the end user i start with that then i explain him or her let's uh, imply uh, a very critical or uh, something a pressing a problem that is there right now i explain the domain then i explain the problem we have right now hmm. and then then the source code uh, adapt to the source code work with the team go figure it out oh so you are taking a small slice of the system and going into depth that is for me you need to get your hands dirty to learn it because how much ever you do for some reason you can you can do onboarding formal onboarding doesn't go to their head unless they have a problem unless you are in a problem you are trying to solve the problem nothing in tech documentation makes sense to you no that is true it's just no. information that's true but but how do you can you do that at scale let's say some day you you are hiring like 
planning to hire like 20 30 people um how do you so do i have done it at a team team size of 60 that's mm-hmm. the highest i have tried but then what happens is when they do their first thing when they are when they are focused to get that done they ask lot of questions they work with the other team members then the learning the initiative comes from them and you throw a, throw a design document at them when you are in need they'll read it and they'll even find simple type of mistakes that that is there you give it to them before giving a problem it just another novel that's what my experience is so i don't i always give them a problem a bit of pressure timeline you know this is a real you know this is the domain we are in now this customer is going through a, has a pain point because we don't have this in this is i want to try this out this guy i want to try this out it makes sense in theory but i think the place where i'm coming from is my own past experience so the second team i was in after i started my career uh, the boss i worked under didn't explain anything to me like there were no documentation nothing he never sat me down and explained much and here's how the here's how the system works i had to pour through like this is like 50000 lines of c++ by the way i had to pour through it again and again and again i spent weeks trying to figure this out and uh, but this is also it. sometime back right this is not new this is uh, uh, this is this is when you started this is long long time ago okay um, so that no. was a very traumatic experience and i promised myself i'm never going to put another person through this so that's where i'm i think that's from. that's quite true because back then i used to be a wiki guy i i used to write everything in a wiki http hyperlinks was a big deal i used to document then i realized nobody reads my stuff <laughs> that's the ugly truth now anjana that's not and, true uh, you know when i when i joined leapset i read through the way i learned most about the cake product is by reading the documents that you wrote before i even met you oh okay at least at, at least few people have read it <laughs> i did know that I did, I, yeah so maybe 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 because you come from a background where you, you generally read stuff right sorry you practice you, you practice you practice reading in, in general like you you have books and you read stuff yeah i want to be efficient Most right? of the it's like if you go through the code again and again and again and just it, it's stressful not to understand something i want to understand things so then these these written things help i think it's a middle ground in that case you know uh, some documentation something that works with them and also most of the engineers i have found after cake you know i after the exit i was working for quite a few startups still working for quite a few startups where you need to give them a problem for them to <coughs> come to be be their best if you if you give them a document it can be a language gap it can be the way they have learned they have their seniors disaster i even question why did i hire this guy but i give him a problem her problem the way they go about it it's uh, it's it's fascinating right okay, by the way i think we took uh, more than uh, half an hour for the chat let's no, get on uh, okay. let's hear from the other people i think that's okay i think we have Super. pivoted the conversation to something else which is i think also okay Uh, we started out by talking about design decisions logging design decisions but we are kind of sort of now talking about onboarding engineers and the way to do it which is also good i think that's part of the communication that's part of communicating your design 
that's that's where I was going at it. You can communicate the design by giving documents, forms, wikis, or you can get them to try something and then learn the design of the application. Mm-hmm. All right. Then let's 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 pivot the discussion to uh, onboarding engineers because otherwise, what will happen is the conversation will sort of go all over the place. So, shall we just okay. discuss, take questions about how do we onboard a new engineer? What is the method? So, your method is you give a small slice of work, and rather than getting a big picture of the system, they go deep into the code and understand, and through that, they sort of get a hands-on experience. And my thing right now what i do is a bit similar to if you were contributing to an open source project on github you read the readme install it run it get a bit familiar then there's a small developer guy telling you here's how you contribute to this project and any number of developers who come into that can quickly get started on it um then before we go to questions shall i tell you one other method i experienced let's do it right this was when I was at uh, when I was first joining Millennium IT, they did not assign us to a team for like two three weeks. They put us in a separate room in a classroom, and they told us to write a mini version of their system. Like there's a trading system, they told us to write a mini trading system from the ground up. Each person their own version. So write a little front end, write a little uh, matching engine, the like trading trading kernel. Write a small uh, database access component, all these things, and deploy it in your own personal small environment and learn it. Until you fall, complete this exercise and show the code and a running uh, demo to the CTO, you are not getting added to a team. So that's one other uh, onboarding experience I had as well. Um, with that, I will start opening up the floor for people to speak. Anybody who wants to speak, just raise your hands and uh, I will give you the mic. Questions? So, till uh, people pick the mic up. Uh, <coughs> so, onboarding is is sort of learning the the tech as well as the uh, business what do you think is more critical uh business versus the tech onboarding yes um it depends right it's it's like if the business is very complicated and has a lot of moving parts you need to you need to have an understanding. Um, certain domains you can take a slice and work on it. Now the domain that we are in right now, it's very difficult to take slice and work on. You have to understand like the whole whole end to end. It's connected. It's connected. Okay, so in that case, you, your business domain is complicated. User needs are complicated. Technology is equally complicated, or you know, somewhat less. It's how do you? How do you? It's, 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 it's okay. thankfully it's it's simple. Um, yeah. Thanks yeah. to the advancement in the technology, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have used the bleeding edge, so it's it's uh, thankfully simple, and we haven't gone too crazy with design patterns, so like microservice architectures as well. So we are all right for now. Design patterns. It's a it's a talk for another day. Yes. Yes. 
ओके आई थिंक आई थिंक वी माइट नीड टू रैप अप अ लिटिल अर्लीयर टुडे राइट अंजना यस आई हैव अ नदर कॉल बट हाउएवर वी कैन टेक फ्यू क्वेश्चंस एंड देन रैप इट अप राइट सो व्हाट आई एम गोइंग टू डू इज आई एम जस्ट गोइंग टू सिंस नोबडी हैज रेज्ड देयर हैंड आई एम जस्ट गोना रैंडमली स्टार्ट एडिंग सम ऑफ द रेगुलर्स टू to uh, i'm going to hand them the mic if you if you guys want to just please pick it up if not just ignore not an issue no problem so uh summarization of uh, you know what we what we were originally planning to discuss and what we discussed both if you do a design make sure it goes it flows into the others not just one time not just a document somewhere make sure it's part of your process where people read it people understand it and there is some review happens time to time when there are new people and get that design as part of the dna of the team if you are doing something we are doing it this way right so that what you call uh, design violations are not uh, uh, possible hi dimuthu hi dimuthu Long time no see. Hi, how's it? Hey, hey. <laughs> how are you? I am doing well. How about you? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. What do you think about? So I, I think you didn't catch the early like uh, in the early period we were giving some interesting case studies and uh, past experiences. But uh, eventually, I think you caught the part about how we went to the different methods of onboarding an engineer, right? Yes. What do you think? Um. I think it's mainly depend on the character. So most engineers that I have known, including myself, we learn by doing something. So I think uh, giving a overall like a T training would be good. Like T like a T structure. Basically, you give a overall business overview, and then a and then give a thin slice is very useful for anybody. Uh, I think that. that is really good because you can get hands dirty and uh, yes i think that is the most effective method but in in my life i have gone through like three or four onboardings uh, i went through the same onboarding at M- mit that you described can you tell us a bit uh, about your onboarding at wso2 back then oh wso2 onboarding Mm, that was uh, actually the WSO two was not new to me because I had worked in Lanka Software Foundation as a trainee, so I knew everything in and out. Even though I joined like six months late, so there need not. I mean, there wasn't any need for onboarding. But generally, how we work with. Uh, onboarding an engineer is just by giving a problem to solve uh, like over the years it has changed but uh, initially we just gave we them push them we just push them to the deep end that's it this is no like a like a nothing. toy problem or is it like a actual production problem uh it's r and d problems not right. production issues definitely oh in that case i need to make a small qualification we also do this for like um, relatively junior engineers there are some internal tools that we work on so for those things we basically throw them into the deep end 
so that's a different so, so sooner or later people are going to get thrown into the deep end right eventually yes. whether you're yes. going to do it now or later yes, yes. <laughs> so there's a little bit of paddling on the on the side of the pool and yes. after that we throw them in i understand you know uh, hand holding is good but reality is better mm. uh thanks dimuthu i think we have a little bit of time but we also have kulendra and charaka guys anything you want to add uh i let charaka go first because I just want to say, isn't it a good idea to have like a small document and make it um, grow organically through each person uh, when someone uh, comes to on board and um, he or she would have problems they would face and that get added to uh, onboarding process and then. uh if the next person has some new problems uh that 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 get added to onboarding process as well so eventually it would kind of generate a um, set of questions probably that some thing uh we follow with hasita at different as well i, I just want to mention wouldn't that generate more more organic that you mean like a crowdsourcing within the team from the people who join right yeah actually crowdsourcing mostly from the people who go through onboarding mm. rather than the mm. ones who are currently in the company the uh, ones who join uh, who newly join so they see it in fresh perspective and the based from the problems they face uh we update the document kind of uh, anjana what do you think about that yeah yeah actually this is something i forgot i i worked with a, a dutch client recently and they had a similar problem and i was uh, researching the way they work and how something that would fit in you know what i what my decision was to bring stack overflow for teams so the stack overflow the the popular stack overflow has my a God, team so that that's expensive Not, not for Dutch people. <laughs> for them, okay. it's peanuts. Well, we being, uh, you know, born and bred in a poor country, everything is expensive, right? So, uh, but for the people who are looking for a something, Charaka mentioned that was their exact problem, right? They want knowledge to be documented and knowledge champions to be within the organization. And most of the stuff, someone ask a question like. how how do i build my react native app or oh, whatever full details and then people answer anyone can answer offline you can like it you can comment it that's the type of uh, documentation they have within the organization so they they have but well, that's actually a nice product by the way uh, for teams much better than uh, a wiki which mm-hmm. you know if you have the money yes right thanks target Kulendra, you wanna go? Yeah. Uh, so I actually caught only the tail end of the conversation, but so I kind of uh, try to add in something. So again, not from the development perspective, but I think our development, like so, LZ technology now, I think we may have slightly changed, where uh, the developers are now more eased into the uh, projects through a training program. Like I think. something like a 3 month 
kind of a training but not too sure about how exactly it works uh but at the same time about this whole thing about like the documentation versus like things that you learn uh through osmosis i think like so there's this weird thing like that like there comes a point where like how whatever amount of documentation that you leave around it doesn't matter like the system is too big i don't know whether you guys any of you guys have come across that problem already i'm pretty sure you guys have uh i i don't know what to do in those cases either uh because like i know certain things like where i have managed so i come from a ba background where i have managed to shock some of the new developers uh by saying that no this is not how you do it this, this is how they, you do it and they're like yeah but how do you know that like you're a ba and because like you know I, i've seen other developers do it like this and this is how we build that design this is what it is and i like so there's documentation for that but i don't know whether it's like humanly possible for anyone to like actually go through that much of documentation i don't know how you guys solve that problem either actually that was supposed to be the original point of this uh, talk but i think we sort of segued into talking about onboarding um i think what we wanted to talk about is we can't document everything but the main thing is to maintain a log of decision somewhere like line by line like a time time series data not a giant giant snapshot right under right 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 yeah so uh, i guess the biggest system i work was at the time i started working was uh, 100 member engineers that was at that time the largest java project sri lanka has done sri lankan engineers have done for the company of a virtual zone it When was the largest you are meaning like the lines of code or number of engineers 100 number. engineers all right number of, yeah <laughs> no, no i was not talking about mit not bigger than mit no <laughs> <laughs> no no so, who counts lines of code means <laughs> so this is the, no, no, this is this is uh, the number of engineers on the ground we the project was about uh, automating a harbor so if you take a harbor you have the sea gate the the ships come from the sea gate and then you have a land gate so and everything in between the loading unloading the algorithms to load algorithms to unload tractor, tractors to get this and then you have the yard crane to Uh, load and load the containers and you know if a freezer needs to be plugged in that needs to be part of the design and things like that in the algorithm so yes documentation was so uh, so difficult design decisions are so difficult but the way it was you you have a high level architecture you have your application and then the module level design was to maintain by the module leads and they can either they can use the diagrams if they can do it in their different formats but there are orders for those and when when a lead changes that ownership get transferred that's no, how that I was structured there i have a question there now in mm-hmm. our system at different we have one big system yes and different teams are organized by the business domain or the area that they work on so everybody sort of touches every part of the system and i think cisco labs is also organized that way so there's no real concept of a module learner per se then what happens so you're saying the the cross functional part people keep changing yes. across the team okay okay, okay. 
So still you can have some sort of demarcation about the modules and say these modules are either maintained and owned by few people. They can change. They can maybe maybe the module owners owner has multiple modules, but they're still owners. Like for instance, if you are to build, if you are to make a change in your payments, there's one go-to guy you have, right? Like a guy who knows payments. That's your module lead. Hmm. So there's like a trusted guy to go to change that go-to person. So that's now, naturally in any organization. But what happens now if like everybody's adding code and doing changes and this, this module lead also happens to be a member of some team that's working on their own priorities. So if you try to have that's where all these you decisions... Technically, so two, two things, right? I, I think there are no definite answers, but one is the technical governance. As a lead, how you govern your design so that people don't, you know, mess around. Number two is post reviews. You have to have reviews where people present how I'm going to build this, how I'm going to do it, and someone to sign off and say, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Now, if you take Android operating system, the, there's, there's a review process. Uh, I know Java JSR, there's a review process. That review is on the spec, that review is also on the tech. So you have to bring those review process so people talk about how they're going to do it before actual implementation. And it's, you know, within very small period of time, you can listen to that and uh, approach. By the way, I'm uh, reaching my time limit for the next call. I'm a few minutes late. Asate, uh, will you take the other questions? I will continue and we'll uh, sort of wrap up on time today. You go ahead. Super, I think six more minutes. Okay. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, Kulendra, were you saying something else? I, I think you had another unfinished thought somewhere. Uh, no, no, that was pretty much it. As in, like, from the, the BA side also, we have, like, similar concerns when it comes to overall designs and stuff. And uh, so I, I think, like, for us, it were, I mean, it's there are competing priorities in the sense of, like, so a BA is supposed to know the functionality best, right? But I am someone who's from, a, like, I'm someone who's extremely biased towards towards engineering where I put an equal value to, uh, like, the overall design and architecture. Like, I'm of the opinion that a BA should also know that. <laughs> so for us, what happens is, like, so people do catch up on the functionality sooner or later, as in, like, you know, otherwise you don't survive. But almost, like only a handful of people actually come up with like uh, actually manage to catch up that overall system design knowledge like, like you know this is build this so when a new requirement comes they tend to think about it from a completely functional side as opposed to like uh, aligning it with the design model that we had so for me it's still like an extension of the same problem that you guys are having like how do you continue that knowledge uh, which is large and complex i think that is a, that's probably a artifact of your business domain right if you're talking about trading systems a lot of the complexity happens under the hood right if you take something like a, back in the day you remember implied orders or like auction process and stuff like that those are like very 
back end driver so yeah. then then there's no choice <laughs> but for the ba to understand okay where does this run or oh, something is in the matching engine the other part you need to send this uh, if you want to send this out this needs to go out through the market data engine or something like that but correct, the, correct. but the but the domain that i am in right now is very user driven so there's right. a lot of business related workflow that you can actually visibly see in the front end uh, but below the api layer most of it is scrubbed operations right okay okay so but there are some some logic as well like uh, payment related stuff there's a lot of logic but it it's basically that you can you can the the our product managers we unfortunately couldn't we don't have bas uh, we don't have project right. managers as well we have the product i, I don't manager. know whether that's unfortunate or not <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's <laughs> so that that is a model so so the silicon valley model is like you have the product manager each team has its yeah. own designer own tech lead and uh, engineers and the qa and maybe a devops person there's no concept of a project manager or a ba anyway so so the product manager in our case also needs to understand a little bit little bit about the architecture not for the purpose of product development or like requirements but because they are lead in the team they need to understand when the team says hey this thing is going to take zillion hours to add this one api yeah. why then they need to know okay yeah. so they need to why why do you need to do that we, because we already have a graphql so you don't need to write a new new endpoint then why do you need then they, yeah. the developer will say oh it's like this 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 and that so yeah i mean for that purpose our product managers need to learn a little bit of require, uh, like uh, architecture but uh, our requirements and the way they are documented is completely independent of the architecture architecture right um kasib uh yeah so i would like to add my experience so uh, initially so when you joined for a large organization for example i would say about uh, to sir so you get thrown into like a kind of a training was as it you mentioned and then you get into a project where you being thrown for a task immediately so it can be something which is kind of their roadmap or it can be something which they are currently working on and then you will have to continue from there onwards so there is very little documentation there is a ton of documentation useful ones but uh, you don't encounter those documents maybe somewhere later down like a few months after you come into that but uh, you understand the purpose uh, or rather what's the goal behind they are doing by looking at the documentation because uh, what anjana told also sometimes when you see the documentation it's like greek hmm. for a hmm. new joining so understanding the code a little bit and then coming for the documentation gives a good insight but at the same time having no documentation going only through the code is also very bad hmm that's true that's true so i think the way what i'm hearing is it all depends on the organization the business domain and the architecture right so millennium yes. it lseg i think they are a very different way they they have to document a certain way because of their business domain and the nature of the architecture at different we need to do it a certain way um at cisco labs i'm sure they are doing a certain way back then it was a bit messy but i think now they are better now 
um, virtues are they do it their own way I guess the lesson here is you just have to try it and figure out what works no yeah so I have a question to you Hasita so for example uh, uh, the project I was working there are there were about uh, 140 sub applications within the portal so for hmm. a system of that scale what do you recommend like how a new person or someone who is relatively new to the team, how can they catch up to the pace of the team? Pace of the team, that depends on what you have to do. No? Now, my early days at Millennium was very similar. They had so many components and like so many things to learn. But I was initially put into like a... Uh, initially, I was put into the authentication. I was managing the authentication server. And... Uh, the first task that my boss gave me was similar to what Anjana said to solve a very specific slice of a problem in the authentication server area and I learned that very deeply. And then the next time I got uh, assigned to a different component, again it was I learned the slice very deeply. But it took me many years before I learned a bird's eye view of the entire system. So my personal view is that yes you can learn a little bit by jumping into the deep end but at some point, somebody needs to see a bird's eye view, like the thing that um, Anjana mentioned, that level zero document where each box represents like a component and how they are connected. So that's what yeah, I that's mean. very that's correct. Uh, yeah, because even I have come for a situation where uh, I got frustrated by not seeing the bird's eye view because no one knew. Because by the end, uh, by the end, there were not people who were initially developed. There were architects, yeah, but uh, you don't get time to go and collaborate with them much because they have their own priorities. Hmm. So how does hmm. everything fit in? Uh, like bits and pieces of information is everywhere. When you try to put in, you, it just gets messed up. Yeah, yeah. And there's a danger there as well. If you spend a couple of years, let's say two years in the organization, and you get transferred to a different team under a different architect, and if you show an ignorance in something that architect thing is, thinks is basic, you are in trouble also. You think that this guy has been in the company for two years, how can this person not know this? Yeah, actually that's kind of a plus when you come for a product team. You actually grow along with the product and you know more about it. So with a service-based company, you tend to shift projects. Mm. Yes. So that's yes. a downside i would say because you don't learn the product halfway through you shift yes 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 okay i think we are on the one hour mark is there anybody else who wants to ask something or say something before we wrap up Okay, great. Um, we will see you again next week then and the audio, hopefully I can salvage this audio and uh, upload it to Anchor FM. So if there are any thoughts you have, just uh, go to LinkedIn to our group and uh, put a comment there. Alright guys, take care, see you next week. See ya. Bye.